Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Good morning. It is, uh, it's awesome to uh, see full seats out there. I think you always have that moment as a pastor when you move to a new place or when something's shaking up and you're like, what if no one's there and I have to call my mom on the way home and tell her that no one came to church? And so it's good, it's good to know uh, just that, uh, that, that Movement Church exists, that there are, uh, there are people who call this place home and people who want to worship and, and be together. And so it's exciting to be together, uh, exciting just to, uh, to worship. One of my favorite things to do in life is, uh, is sit up here in the front row and, and just hear people's worship, you know, kind of flooding over you. You can hear the whole room. Uh, it's so, so special. So thanks for... Thanks for being here. My name is Mark. If I haven't had a chance to meet everybody yet, I have the privilege of uh, being the lead pastor here, and I'm going to tell you a story that might be a little embarrassing to me. So the year was 1998. I was at the Momentum uh, Student Conference with my small youth group. We'd driven to the University of Pittsburgh at Johnstown in a, in a GMC Safari minivan, if you remember those. So let me give you a mental picture of uh, 1998. I was wearing baggy cargo shorts because that's what you did to impress the ladies back then, all right? Uh, and uh, also, before I left that week, I hit up the mall and bought a Hawaiian shirt because those were big then too. I know only dads wear them now, but promise back then it was super awesome, all right? So uh, me and my youth group were at this conference and uh, Monday to Friday of this conference, you're going to sessions, you're hearing speakers, uh, you're, you're worshiping together, kind of being invested in and instructed and and, and so always, as was the, the history at this conference, on the last day, they would send you out into the community just to do uh, different ministry projects. Sometimes it was manual labor. Uh, sometimes you would even do things like door-to-door evangelism. Now, I know that that's not too hip now. You probably would never do that. But in 1998, door-to-door evangelism was holding on strong, right? It, was just, it would just send you up to a, someone's door, and you'd knock on that thing, and, and you would say, hey, can, can we've, we're doing a spiritual survey. Can we ask you some questions? And some people would look at you like they wanted you to die. In fact, most people would look at you like they wanted you to die. Some people would, would tolerate you. Some people would just close the door. But my youth group was out and we were doing this. We were knocking on doors. And I went to the, the door of a woman named Mary. And uh, you know, we knocked and said, hey, we're doing a spiritual survey. Can we ask you some questions? And, and you're almost like expecting someone to reject you. And she's like, yeah, that's fine. And I was like, Okay. All right. All right. And, uh, you know, we're, we're looking around and, and no one in our youth group had actually gotten into the survey yet. And so we're like, oh, okay. You know, and, and they're all like, you, you do it, you do it, you know? And I'm like, okay. So like, you know, we got the clipboard and the pens and we're like, do you go to church anywhere in the area? You know, just like super awkward. And she's like, no, no, I don't. You know, and we're like, uh, do, do, uh, do you, if a church existed in your area, what would you want it to look like? You know, we're going through these questions and eventually we just keep going in these questions. And, and I get to the part where we say, um, you know, do, do you know what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus? Or the, the bigger clincher, uh, do, do, you, do you have any thoughts or fears about eternity? And she said, yeah, I think about it all the time. And, and so I, I, explain, I said, would you mind if I explained what I think the Bible says about eternity and what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus? I was not saying it that confident. I promise you that. This is like the most unconfident moment of my life, right? But we're, we're going through the guide here and I'm like, okay, I'm supposed to do this, then this. And, and we get to the end 
And I say, uh, would, would you be interested in, in having a relationship with Jesus? And this Mary woman from Johnstown, Pennsylvania, who said, actually, yeah, I would. And I said, you would? And I like, you know, like I literally was like, okay, okay, this is not, you know, I'm like, good, 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 Mary, okay. And so, uh, I, I said, you know, I said, all right, well, here's what scripture says. And here's, here's what you, if you want a relationship with Jesus, you can talk to God right now. We can pray. You can say, Lord, I, I need you. I need you in my life. And, and so I kind of had this moment of prayer with her. And she looked me in the eyes and she said, thank you so much. I think that God sent you to my house today. And I was like, yes, he definitely did, right? I'm like a skinny sophomore in a Hawaiian shirt, probably had some puka shells on. Some of you don't even know what puka shells are. Just go with me, okay? Right, but I'm, I'm telling this story and, and sometimes you don't know what God is doing. Sometimes you don't know how God is going to use you in situations and how he's going to make something great out of just a small seed of willingness. I'm going to tell you another story. The year was 2014. Movement Church had launched like 18 months prior. We had met in a dance studio and we had just recently moved here to the Y. There weren't many people. And if you want a visual, I wasn't rocking uh, cargo shorts anymore. I was wearing those real skinny H&M jeans. You know what I'm talking about? Those were cool just a few years ago. And a V-neck t-shirt just to, just to make sure I was awesome. Okay. So you got the visual. It's 2014. We're here at Movement Church and this guy named, this guy named Ron says, hey, can we grab lunch this week after service? And I was like, yeah, we can. The church has 30 people in it. If someone wants to grab lunch, let's, let's go, you know? And so I, I go out to lunch with Ron and he's just asking me, he's like, so this church, what's the, what's the point of this church? And I'm like, well, you know, we want people to know Jesus. And he's like, I've gone to churches before. I've, you know, it just feels, it feels different. And he starts asking me, he's like, well, what, why, why did you move here? Why did other people move here? Why are you guys so passionate about this? And he starts asking me about baptism and he said, I want to get baptized. And I said, well, hey, that's, that's an awesome step. Um, you know, baptism is a way that you can show obedience and you can show that you're living your life to, for Jesus. It's, it's kind of like a, a picture to the world. And he's like, what does that mean? And I said, well, let, let, me, let me tell you. And so in the upper Arlington subway, I had a chance to, to say, we were created in the image of God to know God. But we sin and think we know better. We step away from God. We put distance and separation between us and him. And God doesn't want us to be separated. So he sent his one and only son, Jesus, who came and died on the cross and gave his life. And by placing our faith and our trust in him, we can be made right with God. We can have a relationship with Jesus. We can be with him for eternity. And he said, awesome, I want to do that. So I put down my oven roasted chicken, the official sandwich of Mark Artrip. And I said, all right, let's, let's pray right here, right? And so sometimes you don't know how God is going to use you. Sometimes you don't even realize the circumstances you're going into. Sometimes someone will bring something right to your doorstep and say, hey, I want to talk about spiritual things. I want you to tell me about your faith. I want to know about Jesus. I need you to tell me your story. Here's some verses that I shared last week. I want to just read them again because they kind of tell the heart of this series that we're in, Storytellers, as we talk about evangelism, which is just a fancy word for sharing your faith. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 21, and it says this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. 
We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, he transforms our lives. He transforms our hearts. He changes our identity and he changes our eternity. And so we're not doing this series because we want to make everyone feel guilty and say, oh, you didn't share your faith this week? Oh, you didn't take someone to the Upper Arlington subway? Oh, you're a terrible person. No, no, the the goal of this series, this conversation, these few weeks is just to say, in light of what Jesus has done, in light of the way he's transformed us, in light of the way he's changed us, we get to do this. Not we have to do this, not we should do this, we're guilted into this. We get to do this and we want to do this. We want to share our hope with the world. We want to share our life transformation with the world. And we want people to know what Jesus is doing in our lives and in our hearts. Last week, we said that we should be reconcilers. We should, we should be finding people that we know that only we have access to, coworkers, family members, neighbors, and we should be joining them with Jesus. We should be holding hands and we should be saying, I want you to know Jesus. Now, that's going to be scary for some of us. It's going to be new. It's going to be maybe a little reminder. It's going to feel a little pushy. And I don't mean to be any of those things in this conversation. I want us to know we get to do this. This is something that we should want to do as a worshipful response. We should want to tell our story. We should want to tell the world how Jesus has changed our life and our heart. But there's no blueprint for evangelism, right? Sometimes we're initiating it. Sometimes it's just happening and we're, we're there for the ride. And we're like, I don't know what I'm saying. I don't remember what I said, but God used it. I think it was okay. I had a mentor that used to say this quote. He said, I like the way that I share my faith better than the way that you don't. Now, he wasn't saying that to be combative with people, but sometimes we like to judge other groups and we say like, oh, I'd never do that. I'd never do that. And I know you're probably judging me because I did the door-to-door survey thing. I promise it ended in 1998, right? But, but sometimes we look at this and we say like, oh, that church does it this way. They, they shouldn't do that. They wouldn't do that. And the reality is if we're sharing our faith, if we're, if we're telling our story, we're headed in the right direction. And so today is just to continue that conversation that we want to be storytellers, We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be academic experts. We just have to be storytellers. And so I want us to look at a couple passages that just kind of give us an example today of the way that Jesus would share light with the world, the way that Jesus would share his faith. And so if you've got a Bible, we're going to turn to John chapter 3. If you've got a Bible under your chair there somewhere, it's on page 811. We're going to mean John chapter 3, verse 1. John chapter 3, verse 1. And the Bible that's under your chair there, if you've got one, that's the New Living Translation. We think it's pretty easy to read and a great Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to take that home with you today, just so you can have a copy of God's Word that's easy to read. But this is John chapter 3, verse 1 on page 811, and it's just an interaction that Jesus had sharing light and telling his story. John chapter 3, verse 1, 811 says this, there was a man named Nicodemus a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Well, stop right there. You want to talk about some opportunities that maybe you don't initiate. Jesus and the Pharisees were not really known as being homies. The the Pharisees were religious people of his day. They They were people who honestly were usually trying to trip him up, trying to expose him. They were not fans of his. They were mad about who he was and what he embodied. And so for one of the Pharisees to come and see him, that's pretty crazy. 
You can see there, it says, after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. That's probably not because he was off and and busy during the day. It's probably because he wanted to hide under the cover of darkness. You want to talk about a conversation that you wouldn't think someone would initiate with Jesus, but just kind of was there on on his doorstep. It's this conversation right here. And he instantly comes to Jesus and says, we all know God sent you to teach us. Your signs are evidence that God is with you. Sometimes people are going to just come to you and ask you questions. They're going to say, hey, what's different about you? Or how come you and your wife don't fight as much as me and my wife? How come your kids actually like you? Or what do you guys do on Sunday mornings when I see you getting in the minivan? What's, what's that about? You, you stay out late on Saturday nights, but you still have the time to get up. Or you go to that small group. Sometimes we don't have to do anything amazing to share our faith. We don't have to parse Greek verbs or, or own a Hebrew scripture. We just have to be able to answer the questions that are going to come our way. There's a verse in 1 Peter chapter 3 that says, Worship Christ as Lord of your life, and if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. These verses are saying, be ready to explain your hope. Always be prepared to give an answer is another way it's translated. And you might say, well, no one's asking me about my faith. Here's the honest truth. It might might be time to say, all right, what does my faith look like? What does the light that's in my life and my heart look like to the outside world? If no one is asking, maybe there's just no reason for them to ask questions. And so I think we we can know that we should live in a way that makes people ask you to explain your hope. You and I should live in a way that makes people ask you to explain your hope. There should be something different about your life if Jesus is part of your life. If you are following him, if he has transformed your life and your heart, people should be asking questions. They might not like your life. They might just be asking because you're really weird, but they're going to ask questions. They're going to say, wait, wait, what's, what's different about you? How come you don't get mad at work when everyone else gets mad about the same things? What's different about you? And so this man, Nicodemus, is coming to Jesus and just asking questions because something is different about this guy. Verse 3, John chapter 3 says this, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, you can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish leader, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you. We tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe me when I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. This is John 3.16, by the way. Maybe you've heard of this verse. It's kind of, a, kind of a famous one. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. 
So Jesus is hanging out. He's living in a way that people are coming to him and asking questions. I, I don't think he said, hey, can we grab some Starbucks 9 p.m. on Tuesday night, Nicodemus? Nicodemus chose to come to him and ask him, what makes you different? And when asked, Jesus didn't mince words. He didn't say, oh, you know, I'm just trying to be a good person. He told truth. Jesus plainly says, listen, You need to be born again. The life that you're living, the way that you're living, the direction that you're going is not enough. He said, he said basically what we would say for all time, for all people, we need Jesus because we're sinners and we're lost in sin. Humans, me, you, us, I, we're lost. We're directionless. Whether we want to admit it or not, we're lost in sin. And Jesus came to give his life to pay for our sin. He's spelling these things out quickly there in these verses. And he's saying, if you place your belief and your faith in Jesus, it's going to save you. It's going to transform you. It's going to change your life. In fact, he said it once. Then he kind of circled back and said it again. He goes on to say it again in verse 18. Jesus says this. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. And all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so that others can see what they are doing and what God wants. I've got to be honest, as I read that, I picture someone saying, hey, can we meet and talk? And then Jesus is basically like, hey, let me be honest. You're lost. You're lost in darkness. You're separated from God. You're running from light. You need to repent. You need to turn the other way. You need to be born again. I think sometimes we would look at this interaction and say like, well, that's kind of awkward, Jesus. Why would you say something so mean? Why couldn't you just say, hey, come to church with me? Or hey, let's have lunch this week and we'll talk more about this. He kind of gets to the point and is pretty honest and basically says something that we might think, wow, that's kind of offensive. I've had some conversations recently, and I think that this needs said, and I hope that you'll trust me and let me explain this. The gospel is offensive. There's just no good way to say that. The gospel is offensive, but it's also necessary and loving. There is no good way to tell someone that they are lost in sin. I mean, try to think of a good way. You can't be like, you're lost in sin, but you get a free burrito, right? You can't, there's, there's nothing you can say that will make that better. Like if, if, if you're going to tell someone, hey, all the things you've been trying to do, all the things you've been trying to make your life center around, they're, they're all pointless. And they're leading toward darkness. And you're basically walking off a cliff, whether you know it or not. Jesus can change that, but you're going to have to admit that you're wrong and, and walk the other way. That's offensive. But... Imagine someone were act, someone was actually lost. My family and I spent some time in the national parks out west this summer, and most of the time we were lost. We would often talk to people and we're like, hey, we're looking for the something trail. And they'd be like, yeah, you want to go, you want to go this way, you know? And it was humiliating to be like, hey, I'm lost. But what's the other option? Me just walking through a canyon, like, follow me, family. And then like we go a day or two without water and things take a turn for the worst, right? When, when you're lost, you need to know, you want to know. When you're lost, it's necessary to know where you're going. And it's it's, it's actually the most loving thing you can do. It might not feel like American kindness. It might feel awkward. 
but I think that there's a way that we can share our faith. We don't have to sugarcoat things. And if people are coming to us and asking questions, if they're asking what's different about us, they're looking at our life, there's a way that we can say, you know what? Here's what I know and here's what works for me. We don't have to demean people. We don't have to be rude about things. We can just say, this is what I know. In fact, there's a passage in scripture that says that love does not rejoice in evil, but rejoices when the truth wins out. So the most loving thing that we can do is point someone to a life in relationship with Jesus. It might be awkward. It might feel like you're mean in the moment, but the most loving thing you can do is tell them the most important thing in life. Because like we said last week, you might be the only Jesus they ever know or meet. That might be your role in their life. Jesus didn't go looking for that conversation, but that conversation came to him. I want to move just a, a chapter over there to John chapter four, verse one. There's another interaction that Jesus has. John chapter four, verse one, page eight eleven. It says this, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, He's about to have a, an interaction with this woman, but I think it's worth highlighting that uh, people have looked at this story and, and Jesus was a, a Jew and Jews would not often go to this place that he was. They, they hated the Samaritans, this people group so much that they would actually sometimes walk around this city or this region because they didn't like these people. So it might be some speculation, but I think it's safe to say that Jesus wanted this interaction, wanted this conversation to happen he didn't go out of his way to avoid it. He didn't walk around this town. So you can look at this and see that Jesus is kind of sharing his faith in three easy steps. He's talking and getting to know people. In fact, he says, please give me a drink. That's super spiritual, right? No, no, it's, it's not. In fact, some of you have probably had a drink before in your life. And so maybe we could realize that what Jesus is doing in these three steps, he's starting conversations using small talk and relevant questions, right? We're interacting with people. We're around people. We know people. We see people. If you're lost, you can say to someone, hey, can you give me directions? If you're at your kid's soccer game, you can say, hey, so have you ever coached soccer? Did you ever play soccer? Do you know what's going on here? My dad's favorite question to ask was, what is offsides? Because after 20 years, he still didn't know, right? There's, there's situations and, and moments that you're in that you can just be kind and talk to people and start conversations with, with relevant small talk. Jesus says that. He says, basically, please give me a drink, right? Did he do that because it would lead to a spiritual conversation? Is there a metaphor here? Yeah, all of those things are true, and we're going to get to that. But it's really hot, and he's in the Middle East, and it's noontime. Most people didn't want to be out at noontime. They would go get their water at like 5 a.m. when it was still kind of cool. And so this is a time where you can just flat out say like, yeah, dude needs a drink. So he says, please give me a drink. Verse 8 says this, he was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. 
The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And so Jesus uses that opportunity to transition this conversation. In fact, I think a lot of conversations that we're in can transition. Sometimes we go out of our way to avoid them. People will say like, hey, doesn't your family go to church? And you're like, yeah, we we go all the time. Hey, you think the Buckeyes will be any good this year? Sometimes we almost go out of our way to avoid spiritual transitions. So Jesus starts a conversation using some small talk, a relevant question. He transitions with a tiny spiritual nudge. You can ask a question. If someone says, yeah, I've been really stressed recently, you can say, really? Why? If someone says, hey, you don't seem as stressed, you can say, well, let me, let me tell you where my hope comes from. It can be as simple as saying, do you go to church somewhere? Or you could say, hey, what does the spiritual side of your life look like? Did you grow up going? Is your family spiritual? All too often we avoid transitioning conversations. Again, we might think that it's awkward. We might think that it feels a little too private. And yet, and I've found that when you ask someone about themselves, if you say, hey, tell me about your childhood. Tell me about your upbringing. Tell me about your life. Why do you do your job? What's your hope for your career? What do you want to see happen in the next 10 years? What's going on in your family? Most people are honored by that. They're honored that you want to know about them, and they're honored that you're not just talking about the weather and the Buckeyes. So sometimes you'll see things in someone's life, and you know questions that you can ask them. You've seen their behavior, and behavior usually has a background. And so if if they're talking about stress, you can ask them about stress. If they're talking about parenting, you can ask them about parenting. If they talk about their career, you can ask them about the beginning of their career, exactly how that came together. You can lean into those things and just transition the conversation with a small spiritual nudge. Verse 10 says this, Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that the Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim that it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. So those who must worship worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. 
Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Now, I know I said we should be following the steps of Jesus, but please don't tell anyone that you're the Messiah if you ever get in a spiritual conversation, all right? I want you to actually say, he's the Messiah, all right? That would, that would be a lot better. We're patterning after that. Don't tell people you're the Messiah. Things could get awkward pretty quick, all right? But this conversation was pretty natural. He goes from asking for a drink to her saying, hey, who are you? What's up with you? Tell me, tell me some more about this. And he, he simply just explains the gospel. He explains that people are lost. He explains their need for him. And she says, yeah, I've heard of this Messiah. And he says, here's the Messiah. Most people have a spiritual foundation. They've strung together some, some questions or some answers and you don't have to tell them everything. You just have to connect the dots and let a conversation go where it goes naturally. And so all Jesus did was start a conversation and transition with a spiritual nudge. The last thing he did here was share the gospel or some kingdom knowledge in a polite, confident way. You don't have to be pushy. You don't have to be crazy. You don't have to talk down to people. You can just say, here is some truth. Here's what I want you to know. Here's something that's been important in my life and I feel like I need to say this. We fear that we need to be a scholar. We think that we need to be a a, a reverend or a pastor or a prophet or some of these fancy words that we've heard. We just need to be available and we need to speak truth. There's an organization called Alpha that has clubs, groups that meet all over the world just to start spiritual conversations with people. And they have a phrase that they use often. They say that evangelism used to be the transfer of information. We used to think that there was a a day and age where we we could talk people into being followers of Jesus. They just needed to know all these things. And so they would go door to door. They would do surveys like I did. And they would talk about the four spiritual laws. And they would explain all these things. And culture has shifted. It doesn't mean that the gospel is less relevant. It just means this, that it's usually not for a lack of information. It's usually because people in some way, don't want to know that information. And so Alpha has said that evangelism used to be a transfer of information. Now it's meeting people at their wounds. Evangelism used to be a transfer of information. So we would have tracts and pamphlets and things, and we would talk a lot. And now they're saying, no, no, evangelism is meeting people at their wounds. Some of us are quick to admit that we have wounds. Some of us are quick to say, oh, yeah, that's actually how I came to know Jesus, or that's how I've seen Jesus work in other people's lives. Some of us don't want to admit that we have wounds. But we have wounds. It might be issues from your childhood. It might be your career currently. It might be a struggle or an addiction you've been going through. It might be a relationship. It might be something that you pretended to get over and haven't really gotten over. We have wounds, and people have wounds. So if you're a note taker, if you want to write something in your Bible, here's our big idea is just this, that evangelism is responding to their hurt with your Jesus. Evangelism is responding to their hurt with your Jesus. It doesn't mean that it's going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that you're going to think, wow, couldn't have done that better. It just means that as you're a friend to people, as you're available to people, as you're walking alongside people, as you're asking real questions and real questions are coming up, you're going to see hurt. It's undeniable because we live in a sinful, broken, lost world and we're sinful, broken, lost people. And so when you see that hurt, you can respond with Jesus. You can say, hey, I'm not perfect. Hey, there are people that could explain this a lot better, but here's what I know and here's what matters to me. Here's how Jesus has made a difference in my life. Verse 27, this story goes on. Just then, his disciples came back, talking about the disciples of Jesus. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, 
But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the couple came, so the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. These guys never get it, do they? They're always always missing what he's saying. So Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another harvest, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. Jesus is talking about our role as his followers, as as harvesters. There are people who have planted seeds. He has planted seeds. And sometimes we get to be the ones who are planting seeds. Sometimes we get to see that seed being harvested and someone surrenders their life to Jesus. But he's saying, you're my workers. If you love me, if you're following me, if you're compelled to live your life with me, you should be one of my workers. And so sometimes we're planting seeds. Sometimes we're harvesting seeds, but we're always doing the work of the kingdom. We're always doing the work of an evangelist and we should be working to see that happen. The disciples didn't get that. They're like, why are you talking to that person? They're not worth it. They're a woman, they're a Samaritan, whatever label they wanted to put on this conversation. And he's saying, I'm doing what you should be doing. I'm doing what we all should be doing. We should be compelled by the love and relationship of Jesus. And yet we're often afraid to have conversations. We don't know what to do. We're afraid of what to do. This last week, I watched a super spiritual movie with my son, Canaan. It's called The Justice League. Maybe you've heard of it. I think it won a couple Oscars. The acting was second to none, right? No, not, not so much, not so much. But there's a, a moment in this movie, they're, they're getting ready to head into battle. Who you, got? you got like Batman and Superman and The Flash and some other people that I forget because the movie was terrible off the record, right? But, but there's this moment where, where, where Batman, he's like the guy, he's the leader, he's got the confidence, right? And, and uh, Flash is there and they're getting ready to walk in and Flash has this moment of honesty because he's pretty awkward, like some of us are when we're getting ready to go into battle and, and share our faith. And he's like, I've never really done this before. I don't know what to do. And Batman says to him in the most Batman voice ever, right? He's like, just save one, right? He, he says that. And he's like, I usually just run around and, and shove people. I've never been in a fight. And he's like, just save one. And Flash is like, and then, and then what? He's like, save one more. And then what? Save one, go get one more, go, go do your thing. However you feel gifted, you can make that happen. Go save one, save one more, and then one more, and then one more. I mean, Batman honestly could have said, yeah, you know, you're not as tough as the rest of us. You're not as experienced as the rest of us. You're not going to be great at this. He said this and said, he said, just save one. That's the mentality I think that we need to have when we're having spiritual conversations, when we're living this life, we're following Jesus, just save one. You don't have to think, oh, there's 4,000 people in my neighborhood. There's 27,000 people in Hilliard. I've got to save all these people. I don't know these people. I don't have the skills to save these people. No, just save one. I love the example of that video today. Because sometimes God puts us in very unique situations. You're a nurse. 
You walk into a room and there's one patient, guess who you can be focused on? That one patient. You're a teacher and you get to work one-on-one with a student. Focus on that student. Be light to that student. You're a mechanic and there's a person at the, uh, the bay next to you. and You get to talk to them all day, every day. Focus on that person. Just save one. And as life comes up, as you get to share, you get to talk, respond to their hurt with your Jesus. Tell them what's different in your life and your heart, what's transformed your life and what makes a difference in your life. It's not rocket science. It's called being a storyteller. And we should be compelled to do it because of what Jesus has done in our lives. Let me pray for us as we close here. As I get ready to pray, though, I do want to just highlight, you can keep your head bowed. If there's someone here who's hearing about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus for the first time, if you're hearing what it means to be found in him, if you're hearing what it means to follow him, to walk after him, and as we talk about people being lost in darkness, it can be confusing. But maybe you would say, Lord, I've been walking my own direction. I've been lost and I I don't want to be separated from you. I want to trust in the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. I want to begin a relationship and a life with you. If you would want to do that today, that's a simple conversation of saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. And if you would want to talk to someone more about that, we would love to talk to you at the next steps table and explain what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. If you would look at your life today and and say, Lord, I've been avoiding being a reconciler. I've been avoiding being a storyteller. I've been avoiding having conversations. I've avoided being a light. And I want my life and my direction to echo your light. I want to just save one. I want to be focused on people and be a light in the darkness. There are moments where we make decisions where we get serious about our faith and this morning can be one where you would just say lord i want to commit to run after you and tell the world about you lord help us to be storytellers help us to be people who live lives that make people ask questions help us to be light in darkness Help us to just be good friends and good conversationalists that bring hope into hopeless situations. Lord, help us to be with people and respond to hurt with Jesus and the goodness that he is. God, we give you this new season of Movement Church. We thank you for the chance to be together today. Lord, help us this week to be light and darkness. Help us to be storytellers. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encouraged you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or giving online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.